0: Thanks so much for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and help you grow deeper in your faith. G'day, thanks for joining me. My name's Nathan. I'm the lead pastor of LifeGate Church. I've got a message I want to share with you. We're going to pray and then we're going to dive in. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for who you are, that you are the God who is creator, sustainer, the one who loves us. And you're the God who has spoken and continues to speak to us. Father, we pray that as we come to your word now, that you would speak, that you would give us ears and hearts open to hear from you, and that you would bring great transformation to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a few years ago, my wife and I purchased this series called Law and Order. There is just season 10 on the screen, but here's the box set. And in the box set, we have 20 series of Law & Order. It started in 1990, and it went all the way to 2010. There is 456 episodes of, of, of Law and & Order, and we've been watching it for a few years, and we're about halfway, halfway through, so we've got a few years to go. And, and each episode starts with this really cool phrase that goes like this. In the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The police who investigate crime and the district attorneys who prosecute these offences. These are their stories. And um, and then it goes on and shows some sort of crime and then you have the detectives go in and try and work out what happened. And then you have the district attorneys who then prosecute those who, who have done the wrong thing. And, and, the, and one of the things that, that, us, that, that strikes me about this series is that both the detectives and the district attorney are passionate about justice whenever they arrest the wrong person and they find out it's the wrong person they 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 always release them and they keep going until they find the guilty person and that's something that we see throughout the the uh, whole series and where they make a mistake they are quick to correct it because both the detectives and the district attorney are passionate and deliberate about finding the person who's done, who's done the crime, and then prosecuting them for what they've done. Now compare that with Jesus' trial and crucifixion. As we look at the end of the Gospels, we read the events of Jesus' trial before Pilate and the religious leaders and his crucifixion. And what Jesus experienced is so different from what we see in Law and Order, where the detectives and the district attorney are trying to find the guilty person, well, in Jesus' event, of his trial and his crucifixion, it's really, really obvious that he's innocent. And yet, they crucify him anyway. It was a huge and gross injustice of what happened to Jesus. At the time Jesus walked the earth, it was the Roman Empire who was in charge. When the, when the Roman Empire took over areas, they would allow those groups of people to continue their traditions and continue their ways which included continuing their religion and in Israel it was the Jewish religion and the Roman Empire allowed the Jews to continue their religion and, con- and, and allowed them to continue their way of living until it came to the most difficult and horrible crimes where the Roman Empire held the authority to execute people for people who have done the most horrible things, or people who went against Rome. And the way they executed them was through crucifixion. Crucifixion was the most horrible way to die. It meant that your hands and legs were tied and nailed to a wooden cross. It meant you hanging there until you died, most likely of suffocation, because you could no longer push up your legs to get air. Some people's legs were broken so they could die more quickly. Others had organ failure. Others lost lots of fluid and died. It was the most horrible way to die. And the Romans did it because they wanted to humiliate people. Those who were the worst criminals, they wanted to humiliate them. So they stripped them naked and hung them on a cross. They wanted to make a spectacle of them. So they executed people in public places. So as people walked past, they would see these horrible people who have done horrible things or stood up against Rome and they made a statement to say, don't, don't act that way or you'll end up like them. It was the most horrible way to die. And the Roman Empire executed tens of thousands of people. It's believed over the 400 years that the Roman Empire had authority that they crucified tens of thousands of people. And it's believed on one day... After the um, in the aftermath of Spartacus' rebellion in 71 BC, it's it's believed that six thousand people were crucified in one day. Crucifixion was common; people were regularly flogged, and then they were crucified and left there to die. For the Roman Empire, it was common, it was normal, and it was absolutely horrible. And this is what Jesus experienced these events of being flogged and then tied and nailed to a cross and left to hang there to die until he breathed his last Jesus crucifixion was like many others that went before him and many afters that went many that went after him having said that there were some significant things that were very different in Jesus crucifixion than to other people's crucifixion and today, I want to give you five reasons why Jesus' crucifixion was different to others. As I said, crucifixion was normal in the Roman Empire, but Jesus' crucifixion was different to everyone else's. And I want to give you five reasons for that. The first reason is this. Jesus was innocent. Now, no doubt the Roman Empire ch- um, tried to, to execute people who were guilty of sin, who have done the wrong thing by the Roman Empire, by the society. And no doubt, they sometimes got it wrong, and they executed innocent people. But in Jesus' case, it was obvious to the people at the time, the people with the authority, Herod and Pilate, the Roman Empire's representatives in that area, it was obvious to those leaders who had the authority to crucify people It was obvious to them that Jesus was innocent. Look at this text from Luke chapter 23. It says Pilate said to them, to the Jewish religious leaders, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Notice Pilate, who is the Roman Empire's leader in that area, responsible to the Roman Empire, had the authority to execute people. He says, I have found no basis for your charges against him. The charges were that the Jewish leaders didn't like who Jesus was and what he was saying. The religious leaders believed that Jesus was claiming to be God, which he actually was, and that was a huge problem for the Jewish leaders because Jesus didn't represent who they thought their Messiah was going to be and they had massive problems with him. They were threatened, as I shared in a message just previously from Matthew chapter 26, they were, they were threatened by losing their position if, if Jesus and his kingdom expanded and the Roman Empire said there's, there's now a new way in Israel which meant the religious leaders would have lost their place and authority. In the nation, They were threatened and they wanted to get rid of Jesus. So they brought these accusations against him, many of which were false. And Pilate, here's the case. And he says, I have no basis for your charges against him. And then he goes on in verse 15 to say, Neither has Herod, another one of the Roman Empire's leaders in that area, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Pilate, Herod recognized that Jesus was innocent, that he had done nothing to deserve death, and yet they crucified him anyway. The first thing why Jesus, why Jesus' crucifixion was different from all the others is because Jesus was innocent and everyone knew it. The second reason why Jesus' crucifixion was different to others is because Jesus didn't try to get out of it. He didn't try to get out of it. As we watch Law and Order, when the detectives drag in people into the interrogation room and ask them, did you do this crime? 99% of them say, no, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. Those who were telling the truth and those who were telling lies, 99.9% of them say it wasn't me and they try and blame and they try and get out of it. But then you have the 0.1 percenters in this series where someone is willing to pay the price for someone else's action. It might be a father saying it was me trying to protect his son or a son saying it was me trying to protect their father or some sort of relationship where one tries to protect another. And what we see is that Jesus, when he was put before Pilate, didn't try and get out of what he was being accused of. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 27. Then Pilate asked Jesus, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Why didn't Jesus say, look, I've done nothing wrong deserving of death? Why didn't he do that? Because there was something else going on here. Just like the 0.1% is in law and order, the father trying to protect the son, or the son trying to protect the father and willing to pay the, pay the price to take the penalty that the other person deserves, Friends, this is what we see in Jesus. Jesus didn't try and get out of it because he had us in mind. Because he knew when he went to the cross, he was dying in my place and your place. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. The second reason why Jesus' death, his crucifixion was different from everyone else, is in that Jesus didn't try and get out of it like everyone else would have tried to get out of it. Three, Jesus forgave those who crucified him. This is a beautiful picture of who God is. That when we treat Him so poorly, He chooses to forgive us. We're told that when Jesus was on that cross, He was hanging there, no doubt in agony and pain, dying on that cross. He looked down and then He prayed to His Father Father, forgive these people who have crucified me. Forgive these Jewish leaders who have betrayed me, who have put a conspiracy against me, who've told lies about me. These people that have put the nails in my hands, Father, forgive them. I wonder how how many other criminals chose to forgive those who were crucifying them. I can't think of any. And yet, Jesus in this moment chooses to forgive those who crucified him. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 23. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. The third reason why Jesus' crucifixion was different from everyone else's, Jesus chose to forgive those who crucified him. The fourth reason is this, creation reactor. Over the tens of thousands of people who were crucified um, during the reign of the Roman Empire, these things, I'm sure, never happened. Number one is that the Son Turn to darkness. Look at what it says in Luke 23. It was now about noon, midday, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. In that moment where Jesus was on the cross, the sun stopped shining. Now, how did that happen? I don't know. We, we, we don't know. But creation reacted to the Son of God, the creator of the earth, the creator of the universe being killed and crucified. Creation reacted. And one of the ways that his creation reacted was that the sun stopped stopped shining. And then we read this in Matthew chapter 27. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit at his death. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That was, the, that was the curtain in the temple that separated the most holy place, the holy of holies, from the holy place. It was in the most holy place, the holy of holies, where God dwelt by his spirit. And as that curtain was torn in two, God saying, I'm no longer in, in a building. I'm now out and I want to invade our lives. I want to be part of who we are. And it goes on to say, the earth shook. There was an earthquake. The rocks split and the tombs Broke open. That the earth shook, that the rocks split, and the tombs that were carved out of the side of a mountain, and the big stone that was rolled in front, those, tombs, those, those stones rolled open. Tombs split open, and we're told later on that some dead men walked the earth. Incredible scripture there too. Creation reacted to the death of the Son of God, the death of the Creator, creation reacted. That's the fourth reason why Jesus' crucifixion was so different to everyone else's. Friends, this was no ordinary crucifixion. I've given you four reasons why so far. Jesus was innocent. He didn't try and get out of it. He chose to forgive and creation cried out. Creation reacted to the Son of God being killed. And then we have this Roman centurion, no doubt a hearted man. A man who was with Jesus, who was part of the overseeing of Jesus' crucifixion. A man who had seen, no doubt, tens and hundreds and even maybe thousands of crucifixions throughout his lifetime. He says this. In Matthew chapter 27, when the the centurion and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and explained, surely he was the son of God. His crucifixion was so different to everyone else's that the centurion who who hadn't put his trust in Jesus, who had seen many other crucifixions before him, said, this one's different. This one must be the Son of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to ask you this question. How do you respond when you hear the events of Jesus' crucifixion? The, the, the huge course of injustice around his trial, where Pilate and Herod knew that he was innocent, and yet they crucified him anyway. That he chose to forgive. He didn't get out of it. And the, and the creation cried out, at the Son of God being killed, I wonder how you respond to that. Now, if you've heard this story many times and you've committed your life to Jesus, I hope this reminds you of what Christ has done and that it motivates you to honor Him and live a life that pleases Him. But if this is new for you, maybe these events, maybe this is the first time you've heard it, or maybe it's the second or just the third time you've heard about these events of Jesus' death, and and you, and you might be thinking to yourself, Why didn't he stop it? If Jesus is really God in flesh, surely he had the power to stop the crucifixion. And Jesus says in one place that he could, if he wanted to, call down legions of angels, angel after angel with power to stop this. And yet, he didn't stop it. If Jesus had power over the wind and the waves and the ability to heal and raise the dead, surely he could have stopped this. And yes, he could have stopped it. But there was something else going on The fifth reason why Jesus' crucifixion was different from every other, and it's this. Because Jesus died for the sin of the world. Now, when we use the word sin there, we're simply talking about wrongdoing. God says, this is how, in his law, he says, this is how I want you to live. And if we look at our lives, we don't live up to God's standard. We miss his mark. It's like having a target, and you have a bow and arrow, and you're aiming for the center of the target, and you shoot, and you miss the bullseye. Well, you've missed the mark, and that's what sin is. It's in, in the New Testament, the Greek word is hamartia, and that's what it means to miss the mark. Where we aim for God's standard, but we fall short. And because we fall short, we have sin in our lives. And that sin, that wrongdoing, separates us from God who is perfect. Because of our wrongdoing, it separates us from a perfect and holy God. Because of our sin, we deserve death. The Bible says in Romans, "For the wages, what we deserve for our sin is death. Because of our sin, we're not only separated, not only we, we have a death sentence over our lives, but the Bible says that, that, that God is angry with us. And if that was the end of the story, that would be a horrible, that would be a horrible end to every life. But it's not the end of the story. For God loves me. That God loves you. Were you watching this on your screens, on your tablets, wherever you are around the world watching this? God loves you so much that he gave his son Jesus for you. That he died on the cross. He was crucified for the sin of the world, meaning he was our substitute. Instead of me being punished for my wrongdoing, the death sentence, me dying for eternity because of my sin, Jesus took that upon himself. He took the punishment that I deserved for my wrongdoing upon himself. He took God's wrath, God's anger that was upon me upon himself. And because he died, my sin can be forgiven. My relationship with God can be restored. God is no longer angry with me. I, I, I no longer die and stay dead for eternity separated from God. But when I die, I go and live with God forever. Because I've committed my life to Jesus. And that's true for each one of us. What, what Jesus has done is available for me and for you. And all we need to do is receive it. If we don't receive it, we don't get it. But if we do receive it, we receive his forgiveness. We have all those beautiful things of relationship with God. Death sentence paid for. Wrath appeased. Relationship with God for eternity. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. The our New Testament tells us this is true in a number of places. Three verses quickly that I want, I want to highlight this to you. In one Peter chapter two, it says, "He talking about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed." I love that. It says that he he himself bore our sins in his body. He took our sin upon himself. In 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ, who is Jesus, also suffered once for sins. The righteous, that is Jesus. Righteous means in right standing. Jesus was in right standing with God. He died for the unrighteous, that is us, because we have not done the right thing. We are not in right standing with God. We are unrighteous. And Jesus died, the righteous one, to bring us to God. By him dying on the cross, he paid the price so that I can be in relationship with God. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we commit our life to Jesus, when we ask him to forgive us, when we believe who he is and what he's done, God gives us a new identity. And he sees us as righteous in his sight. He sees us as right, not because of what we've done, but because of what what Jesus has done for us. And God sees us through the lens of Jesus. So he sees us as debt paid for. He He sees us as forgiven. He sees us as in relationship with him. Because of what Jesus has done, friends, it's a beautiful picture of the substitutionary death of Jesus, where Jesus is the substitute. Instead of me being punished, Jesus was punished for me. Over the years, I've had the privilege of sharing this gospel truth with many young kids um, in teaching scripture in schools, um, in um, kids clubs, in after-school programs, at beach missions. And I often use this analogy to describe what Jesus has done. I say this to the kids, maybe the kids are about 10 years old, I say. Just imagine you're in class, and the teacher asks one of the kids in the class to do something. And the kid's really rude to the teacher. I'm not doing that. I hate you. You're... And, it, and the kid goes off, and the teacher says, Right, because of your bad behavior, come and see me at lunchtime. And at lunchtime, you're going to pick up 50 papers. You're going to show me the papers. You're going to put them in the bin. That's a punishment for the way you just spoke to me. And then another kid in the class, a kid who's done nothing wrong, puts up his hand and says to the teacher, teacher, let me me pick up the papers instead of that kid. And, And when I share that with the kids in the class, they'll look at me like, what? Why would he do that? Well, friends, there is a picture, and it's not perfect by any means, but there is a picture of what Christ has done for us. This kid who was rude to the teacher deserved to pick up the papers, but this other kid took his place and picked up the papers on his behalf. Friends, there is a picture of the substitutionary death of Jesus where Jesus died in my place because I couldn't save myself. There is nothing that I could do to save myself. I can't be good enough. It's not like my good works can outdo my bad works or I can't try and do all these things to please God. There's nothing I can do in my own strength to be forgiven. Why? Because of my sin. My sin has separated me from God. There's nothing I can do to fix it. It's only through Jesus. I remember at the beginning of high school, I was um, in a PE class, and the school had um, some people who did weights come and teach us how to pick up weights. And recently, I bought some weights, not that you can tell by my muscles, no doubt, but here's a a 20-kilogram bar, and I must have been seven or eight in high school and I was little and scrawny like many, not many other kids, they're all bigger than me. And we all lined up and we had to walk up on the stage and lift this weight and, the, and, the, and they told us how to do it. And I saw these big kids pick this weight up and they were like, yeah, no worries. And they chucked it up over their head. And then it was my turn. I went, wow, 20 kilos, can I pick this up? And I went, mm, and I picked it up and I got up to here and then I went, oh, and I got up to here, that was okay. And then they wanted me to lift it over my head and I was like, all right. And I went, and I went, and no matter what I could do, I, I, I couldn't lift the weight up. In my ability, I could not lift that weight up, and I put it down, and some people laughed and was like, oh man, I'm weak. I need to get some bigger muscles. But I share that analogy because no matter, what, no matter how hard I tried, no matter how much strength and effort, I could not lift that weight above my head. And I share that analogy because it's the same with what? Um, as what me trying to work and strive to be accepted by God and there's no way to doing it in my own strength in my own ability I cannot be accepted by God I can't have my sin dealt with I can't have the death sentence that's on my life dealt with I can't do it in my own strength it's impossible for me and it's impossible for you because we've all messed up even if one person sins once that's it and the Bible even says that we have a sin nature that's passed down from Adam and because of that sin nature and because of our own sin we're all separated from God. It's only through the substitutionary death of Jesus, where he dies in our place, that we can have forgiveness of sin, that we can have eternal life. And when we do that, not only do we, do we receive forgiveness of sin, not only do we, do we receive eternal life, God gives us a new identity. And this scripture talks about a new identity from 2 Corinthians. that says we become the righteousness of God. God sees us as righteous in his sight. He gives us a new identity. He calls us his masterpiece. He calls us the thing that he has made, and we are unique and beautiful and chosen and, and adopted in and forgiven, and we are marvelous in his eyes. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. So as we come to the end of this message... I want you to reflect on all that Christ has done for us. I've got a picture of the cross, and I want that to remind you of what he's done for you. We're going to spend 30 seconds in a few moments, and I want you to reflect on what Christ has done for you and think about how you're going to respond because of what he's done. But maybe you're watching this message today, and you've never, never committed your life to Jesus. You've heard that he died for the sin of the world, and that's knowledge for you, but you've never received it for yourself because it, it, it is only an idea until it's received. And if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, the one who is paid for your sin to be King and Lord of your life, I invite you to pray this prayer after me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, you've become a Christian. Jesus has now forgiven you and he's now the Lord of your life. We'd love to know about that. I encourage you to click on the prayer tab below and let someone know that you prayed that prayer because we want to help you in your journey of living a life that honors him for all that he's done. Now, as a Christian, or if you've been a Christian for many, many years, I want to give you 30 seconds to reflect on what Jesus has done for you. I want you to think about him going to the cross, although he was innocent, and he didn't try and get out of it because he was going to the cross for you. I want you to think about that he chose to forgive those who crucified him, which is a beautiful picture of what God does for us. He forgives us when we ask him, even though we treat him so poorly. The creation responding to what Jesus has done, and then Jesus dying on that cross for you. I want you to spend 30 seconds, reflect, and may what Christ has done motivate you to live a life that pleases him. Take 30 seconds now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that Jesus chose to go to the cross even though he was innocent. He went there. He went to that cross for us. Jesus, help us to never lose sight of what you've done for us. Help us to remember it and reflect on it. And may what you've done for us motivate us to live a life that pleases you, to live a life to declare how great you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being part of this today. I encourage you to go and live a life that declares how great God is, how great Jesus is because of what he's done through us through his death. Imagine a bunch of Christians who are so focused and so passionate about Christ that we live a life that shined his light around the world. Imagine the difference that would make to our families, our friends, our neighbors. A bunch of Christians who look at what Jesus has done and, and allow that to motivate them to live a life that pleases him. Hey, it's been a privilege sharing with you. God bless you guys. See you soon. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations. And we'd love to help you get connected. My name is Andrew and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to support you, help you get connected and find out how you can take your next steps. So why don't you head to lifegate.org.au online and we'd love to find out more about you and how we can serve you as a church. Thanks for checking out this message and we'll catch you soon.